0: Clapping train, that's great. We are the church that likes to clap. Okay. (laughs) Well, I have been so excited to talk to you all this morning. Uh, There's been a message that's been burning on my heart for the last month or two for us. Uh, And the phrase, it's this phrase uh, open womb, open tomb. It just hasn't left me. And if it's not the most emo title of all time, I don't know what is. You can maybe add like, tears of open womb and tears of the open tomb and some like bangs and some eyeliner and top it all off but um, we're going to talk about this we're going to talk about wombs we're going to talk tombs darkness waiting grief Emmanuel God with us and new life that bursts onto the scene so just so we're on the same page uh, we can all agree that each of us came from a womb You were born. You have a mom um, that birthed you. You were knit together and known intimately by our creator God. And for the women in the room, when I say open womb, it can mean different things. Um, I'm so sorry that for some of us, it's a place of really deep hurt and um, sorrow. The womb has not been full, and maybe we've been longing for it. And maybe there's this pang you feel when you hear the phrase, um, for others, we're just indifferent. Maybe not in that season of life. And, or maybe we've chosen we don't want... We're not going to have kids of our own birth them. Um, and f- then for others, we hear open womb and we think of the kids that we now have in our lives um, that we birthed. <laughs> I connect with it in that I have birthed three kids and have quite literally seen new life be born from my body. Uh, Naomi, Davy, and Eden... We're knit together by God within my womb, and like David the psalmist, uh, he praises God in Psalm 139, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb that phrase, the dark of the womb, that what a mystery that God brings life from the darkness. And I got to participate with him in that creation of new life. He's there knitting together these, ba- is this knitting? I don't know what, kn- I don't knit. So here we go. Tanya, <laughs> he's knitting together these babies the whole time as I, the mama, waited and groaned with the bigness of pregnancy and out of that he bears new life his ultimate rescue plan for the world came that way and the form of jesus being born from the darkness of his mother's womb into a world that is full of darkness and which has been pregnant with hope for this messiah that would come and rescue them that would be the savior you know what else is dark a tomb <laughs> it is dark in there there are two tomb stories that we're going to look at in particular um, from the bible both in the gospel of john so we're going to start with a story of lazarus and this is in john chapter 11 a little context that lazarus is sick so his sisters mary and martha they send word to their close friend jesus and ask him to come and heal their brother Jesus doesn't leave the place that he's at for a couple days, but eventually makes his way with the disciples to Bethany, to the town that they live in. But he gets there, meets the sisters, and he's too late. Lazarus has died. Martha meets him outside the city and tells him, he's too late. She says, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection of the last day. And I think she's totally answering with a Sunday school answer right here. Um, I know for Martha, she's so trying to live the right way. Um, And I probably would have said the same thing. I had the right answer. But to help her see beyond that right answer, Jesus says in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replies. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. I don't think she knows what's about to happen, um, but her faith is so incredibly admirable here. She is in incredible pain from losing her brother, and still she believes. She's leaning into Jesus here. She returns home and tells her sister Mary that the teacher's here and he wants to see her. Mary runs off so quickly out of the room that um, the Jewish mourners, there was always mourners around them if there was a death, they, they think she's running out to the tomb, so they follow her out, outside of the city, and they meet up with Jesus. So we're going to pick up again in verse 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Like her sister, she has faith that Jesus could have healed her brother. And in her pain, she has this incredibly honest confession. The if, if you had been here. So in verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and he was troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. He wept. Jesus, who is God incarnate, wept. He was so moved by his friend's pain that he wept. Jesus, who knows what's about to happen. Like, spoiler alert, Lazarus comes back to life. Like, he's about to see this happen. He still is so moved and weeps alongside his friends. It just, it's so moving to me. Um, like, how about you? So, back to the story. So, they... Um, Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Same question. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor. (laughs) For he's been in there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. What a scene. There's so much foreshadowing going on here of something that Jesus is going to be entering into soon and also some very key differences. Um, Jesus is keenly aware of his own impending death and subsequent resurrection. And I wonder if some of the tears that he shed weren't also in anticipation of what was to come. And regardless, his compassion here in relation to the sisters is something to take note of. If we're to become more like Jesus, I think he's teaching us to hold space with people, to foster empathy, even in situations we think we know the end to. He's God and knows that the, the real, the for real end, and here he is weeping with them, holding space. In N.T. Wright's book, John for Everyone, he comments, Jesus has no doubt what he will do and what his father will do through him. There's no sense of triumphalism, of someone coming in smugly with a secret formula that will show how clever he is. There is rather the man of sorrows, acquainted with our grief and pain, sharing and bearing it to the point of tears. Come and see, we say to Jesus, as we lead him, all tears to the place of our deepest grief and sorrow. Come and see, he says to us in reply, as he leads us through the sorrow to the place where he now dwells in light and love in resurrection glory. The new day is dawning, and though where we live the night can be very dark and the tears very bitter, there is light and joy waiting not far away. I have two very distinct times of deep grief that um, come to mind for me in this past year, and I, that, like, where I felt Jesus so closely in. First, uh, one was the day. Eden, my daughter, was discharged from the NICU after being there for eight weeks. We had her all bundled in her car seat. We said her goodbyes to the nurses. We loaded her in the car, and we were driving out of the Good Sam Hospital parking garage. And I was hit with this wave of relief, and it was also like the gates of grief opened up, and I was consumed and could not stop weeping. Um, I felt Jesus so near to me at the same time. I hardly knew what to do except to praise God. I just sang. (laughs) I put a worship song and we turned and we just sang in the car on our drive home. He was so near in the waiting. He was near when I had her in the darkness of my womb and was nauseous for weeks (laughs) He was near when I went into early labor. He was near when she came crying into the world. Her lungs barely formed, but formed enough that she made her voice known. He was there with me during the weeks of NICU visits, scrubbing in and wearing masks and gowns. He was there in all of the waiting, and he brought new life out of that darkness. Another time, I had a wave of grief hit me recently, Um, was when the earthquakes happened in Turkey and Syria. It was early last month. I initially avoided pictures and stories because I just didn't think I could handle it. Couldn't hear the destruction. But eventually a few days passed and uh, something on social media caught my eye and uh, saw a story of a family being pulled from the rubble who had survived. And then alternately saw pictures and stories of women who had lost their families in the rubble. And I couldn't handle it. <laughs> I just lost it. And um, right after I'd seen these, I, I put on the Lectio 365 app, and I'm listening to the devotional of the day. And the scripture we were leaning into was out of Isaiah 2. It's a prophetic vision Isaiah has that many people go up the mountain. They go up the mountain of the Lord so they can be taught his ways And walk in his paths, and it's a new way and a new path. And they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. It gets turned into garden tools. And I just couldn't stop weeping at the beautiful picture of of what life will look like and weeping at the extreme hurt for the people in these countries that had been war torn for years and years, and on top of that, experience this extreme natural disaster. So I just pray, like, come, Lord Jesus, come, that how much longer must we wait in the darkness for your kingdom to come in its complete fullness? Like so many of the psalmists, we cry out in our agony to you and on behalf of our brothers and sisters. Thank you for meeting us there. Lead us. Amen. Isaiah also said, Jesus is a man of sorrows, that he drank from the cup of suffering, and he's well acquainted with deep grief. So he's not afraid to sit with us in ours. You are not alone. So here's the second story of an open tomb. We're jumping now to John chapter 20. And at this point in John, Jesus has been executed on the cross uh, after a sham of a trial. And some of his followers get permission to take his body and place it in a tomb. And they have um, they do all some of the, the quickly do some of the burial processes and wrap him up in cloths and, and spices and lay him down there and roll the stone in front. Three days later, Mary Magdalene ventures out early in the morning to the tomb, and she arrives and sees the stone rolled away. She makes a quick assumption and runs back to Peter and John and tell them that Jesus has been taken out to an unknown location. These two book it back to the tomb to come see for themselves, and they duck inside, and they see that the linen burial cloths are just laid there, inside there, and they believe. They walk away, and Mary is left there, and she's weeping. So we're going to start at verse 11, and this is in chapter 20. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they've put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her, who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, "Rabbi," which is Hebrew for teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go find my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. And then she gave him his message. Like, that's cool. Did you notice some of the similarities here between the two stories that Jesus and Lazarus, were both dead for a couple days. They were both wrapped in these burial cloths. Both had dear friends mourning their deaths. and Both of them came out of their tombs. Jesus was there both times with the mourning women in different circumstances. Um, and Jesus calls people's names out in a really powerful way. A way that awakens them to their true identity. He calls Lazarus And Lazarus is radically changed. He comes back to life. (laughs) He calls Mary Magdalene's name, and she instantly recognizes her rabbi's voice. And what about the differences? Like, a key difference to me is that Jesus doesn't just come back to life and have to live until he dies again like Lazarus does now. No, he was resurrected to a whole new way of life, a whole new kind of life. He didn't even have to be, like, unwrapped from his burial claws; He left them laying in the tomb. The darkness could not hold him. A new life came from that dark tomb, and he came like the rising sun, a new dawn for a new day. I particularly love Jesus and Mary's interaction outside of his tomb, where he tells her not to cling to him. And he sends her out to tell his brothers, the disciples, the good news. And I love that it's Mary, a woman, that she's the first one sent out with the message of Jesus' raised life. She's an apostle, which means sent one. She's an apostle to the apostles. There's also a connection here that I don't want us to miss. That in our grief and in the hard times, the, the time that feels the darkest, Jesus is with us both these places. He meets us there and he holds that space. He calls us by name and he leads us to the other side where he went through to new life. And he wants to bring along our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, our family members. He sends us out just like Mary to share this impossibly good news because we know and trust our shepherd's voice. He's with us. He calls us and he sends us. So now in the next several minutes, uh, we're all going to participate in a contemplative prayer exercise where we'll imagine ourselves in the scene with Mary outside of Jesus's tomb. In a second, I'll ask you to close your eyes so we can get rid of some of the distraction while I lead us through a prayer together. And you'll just kind of mull it around in your mind and imagine yourself here in the scene. There will be parts you'll respond to in your mind. So just kind of go with the flow. And um, I took this from the same book, N.T. Wright wrote, John for Everyone, Um, and it was just so good. I knew that we had to do it together. We want to practice this together. So we're going to settle in, and let's all take a deep breath in as I count to three. One, two, three. And breathe it out. One, two, three. There are going to be some silent spaces, and that is okay. So go ahead, close your eyes. And begin to imagine with me. We're standing with Mary as she weeps. Think of someone you know or have seen on television or in the newspapers who has cried bitterly this last week. Bring them too. And stand there with Mary. Don't rush it. Tears have their own natural rhythm. Hold them, the people, the tears, in your mind as you stand outside the tomb. And then, when the moment is right, stoop down and look into the tomb itself. Be prepared for a surprise. Where had the angels come from? They hadn't been there a few moments before when Peter and John had been inside the tomb. Or maybe they had been. Maybe sometimes you can only see angels through tears. When people are afraid, angels tend to tell them not to be. When people are in tears, angels ask why. Say it out loud in your mind. Whoever you've brought with you to stand here, listen to them say it too. They have taken away my home, my husband, my children, my rights, my dignity, my hopes, my life. They have taken away my master. The world's grief... Israel's grief concentrated in Mary's grief. Now, as you stand with Mary and ponder her answer, and the answers the question would receive today from around the world, turn around and see the strange figure who's standing there. Who is he? What's he doing? Who do you think he is? Mary's intuitive guess that he must be the gardener was wrong at one level and right, deeply right at another. This is the new creation. Jesus is the beginning of it. Here he is, the new Adam, the gardener, charged with bringing the chaos of God's creation into new order, into flower, into fruitfulness. He has come to uproot the thorns and thistles and replace them with blossoms and harvests. As we stand there and listen, overhearing Mary's conversation, let the pain of the people you're with speak itself to Jesus, whether or not they know who he is. Then listen for the name. It is greeting, consolation, gentle rebuke, like, come on, don't you know me? And invitation, all rolled into one, Of course we know him. Of course we don't know him. He is the same. He is different. He is alive with a new sort of life, the like of which we'd never seen before. Let Jesus call your own name and the name of whoever you've brought with you, whoever needs his love and healing today. And then take it from there. Let the prayer flow on into whatever new conversation is appropriate. So right now, talk with Jesus in your heart and mind. We've made the space to have this time with him right now. We're going to take the next two minutes and just let the prayer flow in your mind. After that, we'll sing a song and we'll have more time to move into prayer ministry. But for now, just sit here in the next two minutes Keep that prayer fresh in your mind. And we're just going to sing a little song. And then we'll enter into some more, um, to some prayer ministry. And we can um, pray alongside of each other. And see how Jesus met us in these last few moments.